It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. We're so glad you're here and especially glad you're here right now because I get to introduce you to a brand new friend of ours here at Perry and Shauna Mornings, Vermont Pierre. He is a pastor. He is pastoring at Roosevelt Community Church. It's a diverse, multi-ethnic congregation in downtown Phoenix, Arizona. He's the author of Dearly Beloved, and it's not his first book. He's He is well-versed in this area, and he and his wife, Danae, live in downtown Phoenix. They've got five children. Did I say your wife's name correctly? Yep, that's right. Awesome, awesome. Vermon, thanks for being with us this morning. And it's crazy early because Phoenix, you're a couple right. hours, six o'clock. What time do we normally get up, and you know what time does your your day normally start? Well, you know it's close to around the the, the time I have to get up because I have young kids. So I got to get ah, them to school. So. Gotcha. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us this morning, and we're excited to talk about your book, Dearly Beloved. You know, you've written other books. This is not your first book, but I gotta believe that a book has got to be a passion before it actually becomes a book. So I'm just really curious how this surfaced in your life. Why, of all the things that you could write about in Scripture, why the church be in the church? Why, dearly beloved? Well, if there's a, a calling card for my ministry, is it's that I'm always thinking about what brings people together and what keeps them together. Mm-hmm. So I'm always interested in that kind of topic, and particularly for a church like ours that uh, is diverse, um, I'm always thinking. I mean, here's all these different types of people, like. Mm-hmm. How, how do we get them in the same place? How do we keep them in the same place? How do we keep them really bonded together uh, as one, as I think the, the word uh, speaks to? And so um, in many ways, uh, that has been harder to do in, in, uh, than ever before, I think, uh, mm-hmm. at least in recent history. Um, churches all around the country are facing division and conflict and all sorts of different things. And so I began, uh, even our church, and so I began really trying to think through how do we find uh better language, maybe stronger language to use that helps us know how to relate to one another and, and keep relating to one another. Uh, and in the end, it really does come down to love, doesn't it? Um, yeah. What I'm trying to do is think of how can we better love one another in, in the life of the church. And that's sort of what led me down the path of writing the book. Gotcha. What do you think are the greatest obstacles that keep us from just doing that? Yeah, you know, I think we uh, are very prone to wanting to align with people who are like us, who think like us, um, and so uh, that sort of obviously drives us in some directions uh, mm-hmm. away from, again, the, I think the biblical picture is Jew and Gentile. It's all peoples being brought together as one in Christ. Uh, and so our natural sort of preferences uh, drive us from one another. Uh, and then I think conflict. And so we have less capacity to deal with conflict and tension than I think we've had before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm seeing more and more now when there's some uh, some type of conflict or tension, and, and maybe in so many ways, serious conflict, things that have to be dealt with, the easy path is to divide, is to separate. And again, I think that that speaks against the type of community the Lord wants us to have. What are, what are one of the things that you, you know, felt as far as loving one another, one of the, what are one of the ways that really surfaced for you as man, we got to grow in this way of loving each other? Yeah, well, you know, the basic premise of the book is that uh, God's love for us is a beloved love. Um, that uh, we that that sort of very powerful metaphor that we are the bride of Christ, mm-hmm. and uh, essentially what I've said is that that love, that beloved love that God shows towards us now is in us by the Spirit, mm-hmm. and so imagine is like your the well of your soul has now been filled with the beloved love of God, and we draw from that well to love one another, um, and so it's not so much that I. I I'm married to other people in the church. Uh, we're only married to the Lord, spiritually speaking. Okay. Um, but 
we uh, see each other and treat one another as beloved because of uh, how God is sees and treats us. Uh, and so it's from that sense, then, um, I really sort of draw a lot of what I think we need to do to beloved, to, to show beloved love towards one another. And so, mm-hmm. for example, um, I, in many ways, I've told people, I wrote the book as a way to sort of bring back the idea of intimate love in the life of the church. Uh, there is a sort of an intimacy that can happen in the life of the church that I don't know if we ne- necessarily think about, but through that lens of being beloved to one another, it, it's it's true, it's legitimate. And that surfaces in the time we spent with one another and all the different ways in which I think the Bible encourages us to be with one another. I got to say, Ramon, I feel like our whole country went through a shift in a couple of years ago with COVID and we were not allowed to come together. And the response when that was lifted, that mandate was lifted and we could gather once again was some people just ran through the church doors. You know, they, they were just beating down the church doors and others have kind of settled into a routine of not coming together to be the church. How significant is it? How important is it for us to gather together and to be to be committed to that? We really can't show love towards one another unless we're present with one another. Uh, and, you know, it really, in the book, I trace it going all the way back to how the Lord's emphasis on actually living with us. Uh, God walks wow. with us in the garden. He's there with humanity. And then uh, with Israel, God is tabernacling with them, right? He has a tabernacle right in the midst of the camp. You know, yeah. There's the temple to the point where now God is in us by his spirit. And sort of God's commitment, he shows love by actually being present and living with us. Mm-hmm. The God of the universe wants to live within us. Uh, that then really translates immediately towards how we really relate to one another. We have to live with one another. And that involves being present with one another, uh, the importance of face-to-face corporate worship, the importance of shared meals, of hospitality. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says to the Corinthians, you know, you've messed up by not taking communion together at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at the end of 2 John, uh, John writes, hey, there's other things I can write to you with pen and ink. And so he, he recognizes the value of that. He says, I, I need to wait. I need to see you face-to-face so that our joy may be, may be complete. So I think we we miss out on the full experience of what it is to know God and to love God and to know and love God uh, by being loved by others unless we're actually present with each other. Mm. That's so good. But the church is messy, dude. Like the yeah. church is hard. To, some folks we want to be together with and some folks are really hard to be together with. What is What does scripture tell us about that? You know, again, the, the scripture gives us almost like case studies of this. Um, one of the things I, I, is right there in, in, the, in, the, in the scripture um, that I think we often miss is how often, and for, for example, in, in Paul's letters, he's talking to first the Jews and he's talking to the Gentiles. Hey, Jews think of this, Gentiles think of this. I think the implication is it was hard for them to be in the same space together. Mm. He's giving them sort of understanding of the Jews understanding what it means uh, for Gentiles to be grafted in. Gentiles understanding hey, how God works through Israel. Mm. Um, it's right, been right there from the very beginning, but the implication wasn't that, uh, okay, well, Jews, you should split off and do your own thing. And, you know, so we'll have a, a Jew, Gentile, a, a Jew, uh, a Jewish Jerusalem church, and we'll have a Gentile Jerusalem church. We'll have right. one for the rich people, we'll have another one for the poor people. That's not what he did. The implication was, well, we're going to be in community together. And I think the gospel is actually strong enough uh, and, and and full of love enough for us to figure out how we navigate to, with one another. Uh, we sort of have to start with that presupposition. We have to be with one another.
Ramon, in your book, you list off many different ways in which we participate in the life of the church. And the first one is initiative. What do you mean by that? So, you know, in that chapter, I begin first with understanding of how God shows initiative towards us, you know, that his beloved love for us is shown the same way, you might say a husband, the asked uh, our future husband, <laughs> asked mm. uh, the future wife uh, out for that first date. Um, but we see what the Lord is uh, from the very beginning. He moves towards us. We didn't move towards him. Uh, and then that same vein, that same sort of initiating love is now within us by the spirit. And so uh, that chapter is, is a way to encourage us to think of how we move towards one another uh, in love. And, and recognize that's hard. Um, and that natural instinct is to, I think I used the illustration in the chapter of how we almost treat relationships like we're at a restaurant. And at restaurants, we expect people to move towards us, to you mm. know, fill our water, give us dinner, all those different type of things. Uh, but that's not the life of the church. Um, and in many ways, it can be hard. It's almost like a stalled car engine to think of moving towards others. But again, we don't have to draw from our own resources. We're drawing from the Lord's love within us, his initiating love. And so I think that... Uh, that sense then allows us to lean in towards others, to be curious about others, uh, to move towards others in love. I feel like initiative is one of those things, and I'm giving you permission to speak back to this, push back on me if I'm if I'm representing this poorly, but I feel like some people are more inclined towards it. They're more inclined towards initiative, towards taking initiative. My husband will tell me all the time, like, I'm always starting stuff up. I'm always taking initiative, and I'm happy to be a part, but I'm not always the initiator. Is is mm-hmm. So speak to the person who, like, that's not me. That's not my natural bent. What would you say? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one example of initiative that might appeal more to extroverts, right? Um, But initiating love isn't just, hey, I'm willing to start things and, you know, I'm always going to show up at every single church event. I mean, initiating love could be very simply, hey, you notice someone is crying next to you during a a worship service and you're just willing to ask, hey, is everything okay? Can I pray for you? Uh, and it might be just that one interaction, but that is hugely significant, it can be hugely significant in that person's life. Um, it's just an ability to to notice whether you're someone who notices, likes noticing lots of people, or you just that person who notices the person no one else notices. Um, you're willing mm-hmm. to sort of pay attention. It might be as simple as uh, sending a text message to someone. Uh, it might be as simple as, hey, I'm going to show up at my this person's uh, soccer game because their parents won't show up, but I'm going to show up and be there for them. Um, It's those kind of examples, I think, that show the broader sense of what I mean by initiating love. Yeah, it's not just personality driven. There's a way that we can show up with the way that God has created us and take initiative. What about delight? You have delight in there. Tell me about this. Yeah, I think uh, the way I I tell people is that we in the church shouldn't sort of just be putting up with people. Um, Mm. And I think there's a way in which we can sort of say, oh, yeah, we're... I know I'm a Christian. I'm going to be here with all these people. Um, and that's sort of just putting up with one another. <laughs> it's a sense of, no, we should delight one another. Mm. Again, I, I start with first God's delight in us. Uh, God isn't just putting up with us. Um, it, mm. it's, it speaks in, uh, I want to say in the Psalms, it talks about, our, uh, I think, well, I'm, I'm misquoting this, but there's a verse that talks about God essentially singing over us. Yeah, <laughs> Zephaniah 317. Zephaniah, the Lord sings over. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I love that sub imagery, like God's, just sings over us. That's yeah. this expression of delight. Um, and again, that that sense of delight over us now is within us uh, by the Spirit. Uh, in that same way, how do we delight one another? Uh, and, and similar here with the initiative, um, it's that sense of like paying attention to one another and, and, and noticing things about each other uh, and allowing the Lord's love to sort of 
stir our hearts uh, and care for each other. And that chapter, I talk a lot about shared experiences, I think are a really important way in which we show delight. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I've shared experience with someone, I begin to know that person better. Yeah. And when you share something in common with someone, you notice things and pay attention to things that become part of a shared memory that becomes a delightful thing uh, and builds sort of that type of relationship with each other. So those type of things, I think, uh, allow us to, especially if we have trouble delighting one another, Pressing in towards those kind of experiences, noticing one another sort of carries forward and and allows that kind of love to grow in our relationship. I think the generations ahead of us, they really got like rootedness and being a part of the church in such a way that like, hey, this is my church and and I'm going to weather what I need, whatever I need to weather because I'm a part of this body of believers. I don't know that that level of commitment exists in the generations that have, and certainly like in our Gen Zers. I don't know. I don't know that that beats in their chest. You can talk about that a little bit, Ramon. Yeah, I think you're right. That sense of, uh, I'm going to be committed to this person, stay with this person, um, uh, stay with this community is, is is way more tenuous than it used to be. And um, I think we're, again, we're helped by thinking of how the Lord has committed himself towards us. He's every reason to abandon us and to leave us. Right. And yet uh, the Lord sort of says, I'm going to be with you and stay with you. Um, there's a great uh, Hebrew word, chesed, uh, which mm-hmm. translates a steadfast love in, in our Bibles. And it's all over uh, in the Psalms. And I think it's a it's expression of commitment. Uh, I will love you in a steadfast way. I will be committed to you. It's about expression of committed love uh, that God shows towards us, and that same sort of committed love is now in us by the Spirit. And and so it's a way of just framing how we are can be truly with one another. Uh, and it really does begin by saying, "Hey, I, I will be committed in love towards you, and trust in how the Lord will allow us to stay committed." And I think there are things that we can do that help reinforce that um, that uh, the Lord gives us. And behind commitment has got to be our need to be able to reconcile, you know, because what, when, if you're going to get people together, there's going to be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? We are, we bring with us ourselves wherever we go and imperfect as we are, there's going to be issues. Does, do you talk about that in Dearly Beloved? Yep. Um, so there is a uh, chapter in the book uh, on conflict and, uh, if you really think about what happens in conflict, um, yeah, there, there's there's something that happens between us, and uh, the world gives us a lot of different ways of dealing with it. Um, some ways ignoring it, others sort of uh, saying, "Well, uh, I, I refuse to, uh, unless you come over to my side, I won't uh, resolve this with you." Um, what the Lord gives us is a really powerful concept called grace, mm-hmm. and I think grace. Uh, and God's grace towards us, shown by his love towards us, uh, is a grace that we show towards one another. And, and in the chapter, I talk about the tools of grace, which are sacrifice and forgiveness, which sort of always creates the space to move towards each other. So imagine like there's a room and the doors into that room. On one side, one person has to be willing to forgive. Um, on the other side, one person has to be willing to to confess, right, to admit. Um, but we can only have relationship, we can be in that room, but the Lord gives us the resources to be able to do that. Um, and so this allows us to not ignore stuff, right? So this isn't sort of like, oh, I forgive you, it doesn't matter, we're not going to talk about this. And there's some things to be worked out, and other, and other times, um, yeah, it shouldn't be swept over, but also gives us a space to say, hey, when there's a legitimate confession and repentance and, and whatever repair needs to be done in a relationship, there's space to forgive. Mm. And that space to forgive then allows healing to happen in a bond that's even stronger than before. Yeah, there's intimacy that comes from 
wrestling out the hard stuff. You've referred several times in this conversation today about it, you know, the covenant relationship between husband and wife and intimacy can't exist if you aren't. And I think, you know, intimacy gets better when you're working out the hard stuff and you're being honest with one another. That's that happens within the church as well is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, Amen. That's right. Yeah. And then also perseverance. I mean, that's part of the conflict, right? Is to just keep going. I think that's real um, common practice when things aren't going the way that you want them to go, that we just, there's another church down the street. I can find a different fellowship. Like that's not hard and we'll jump ship pretty quickly. Talk about what it looks like as the dearly beloved, as the church to persevere with one another. You know, the, the story of uh, Jose and Gomer is a really powerful mm-hmm. one. Uh, and God uses that as an expression of, I mean, his persevering love with us. Um, you know, in that story, uh, Gomer leaves the prophet uh, uh, Hosea, and God tells him, hey, I want you to pursue her, to bring her back, mm-hmm. uh, to continue uh, to be in relationship with her, to bring her back into relationship. And it's a picture of what the Lord does for us. And that picture of what the Lord does for us, I think, is a picture for what we should do. Um, it's that sense of, I mean, the word, the, the Bible expects that there will be uh, problems and issues, roadblocks, um, but then says, even in those in those cases, uh, you can still pursue one another in love. Um, you know, I think one of the things that really helps is having a picture of where we're going. And so, there's some major hikes in in uh, Arizona, and uh, to get there, right, to get to these sort of beautiful spots, you've got to engage in these major hikes. What makes people go in these really hard, punishing hikes? It's knowing that the picture at mm. the end is beautiful. Wonderful. Yeah, going to get to the top of the mountain and see a beautiful vista. And we're going paint this beautiful picture of what community looks like when we show and pursue one another in love. Keeping that picture in mind allows us, I think, to persevere until we get to that end. It's so good. When I lived in Arizona, we hiked the white tanks a lot with our kids. I know Camelback is way better, yeah. but it was farther away. <laughs> but yeah, Vermont, thank you so much for being with us today. We just really appreciate your time. I think in closing, I would love to just hear what you would say to the person who says, you know what? I love Jesus. We got a beautiful thing going. I'm so grateful for my relationship with him. I just don't, I don't know. You know, the church is messy and I just don't know that I want to dive in there. What would you say? Well, I say, if you love Jesus, you're really not getting much of him. If you're not involved in the life of the church, uh, the body, the, the Bible uses a really strong imagery to speak about the church. We're the body of Christ. Uh, and so you may have, relationship with Jesus, but you're missing out his whole body. <laughs> you're missing out the whole expression of what it is to know and love the Lord. The Lord uh, is uniquely present in the life of the church. And so for for just almost for the, the desire to know the Lord more, to know Jesus more, to have more of his love in you, you have to be in relationship with other Christians. Uh, you're shortchanging yourself. And again, that's 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 hard, and it's all the things that we've said, but uh, that's why the Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, <laughs> that he promises to be with us and uh, help us work through those things. Mm-hmm. And in that sort of thing, we will step into the kind of love of God that is so rich and vibrant. Uh, well, it, there's nothing better than, than to have it. I 
I have four kiddos and they're all grown up and they're living life in different parts of the world and doing their thing. But I tell you what, it is still my heart's desire and it makes my my mama's heart swell so big when my kids come together, especially like having all my birdies in the same nest Uh makes me so happy. But when they come together and they get along or I even, I might see see that my son is on the phone with somebody and I'll say, who are you talking to? And he's like, oh, I'm talking to my sister. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it just makes my heart so happy that they invest in relationship with one another. Yeah. And I mean, that's as adults. But when they were little, when they were kids, they were normal kids. And they very much enjoyed relationship with each other. They always did. But they were normal. They had their fights, too. I remember oh. I remember moving to Arizona. We had just moved into the neighborhood for the purpose of planting a church, for the purpose of making Christ known to our neighborhood and so wanted to make a good impression, right? Wanted sure. them to like us and think that we were okay so we could be in relationship with them and share with them who Jesus was. Uh-huh. I remember specifically, let's see, Bryn would have been, Dre was three and Bryn was five. Mm. And I remember hearing the scuffle outside and running out. We lived in this cul-de-sac and running out to the front yard to see what was going on between them. And... Bryn was on her back in the rocks because in Arizona, like instead of grass landscaping, a lot of the yards have just rock. So she's laying in the front yard in the rock and Drayson is straddling her over. He's just like, oh, no, just throwing punches at her face. (laughs) He's three years old. Right. So I'm like, what is happening right now? Wow. This is not how my kids behave. I was mortified, (laughs) mortified that they would do this to one another. But the complete contrast of that is those moments when my sweet children were enjoying each other's company and they were being kind and they were being gentle and they were sharing their things and there was laughter. It just made my heart so happy. Mm-hmm. And I, there's a, a passage of scripture. If we look at the early church in the book of Acts, we see that the church behaving in a way that just made our heavenly father so happy. It mm. made him smile. They experienced his favor. Literally, they experienced his favor. It makes me think of uh, Asbury, which was just last mm. year. The reports that yeah. that the uh, clouds all over the place in that area, but the sun shining down on the school. Over, was that just a year ago, Asbury? That was just a year ago. Wow, that's it feels wild. feels like it was longer, but it was just a year it ago. It does feel like longer than a year ago. So Acts 4, the early church, verses 32 through 35, talk about what the early church was experiencing together. But, but specifically, there's this verse that says, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. They were being generous with one another. They were putting one another before themselves. They were just behaving the way that we're supposed to, the way that God's kids are supposed to. And some translations in regards to the the God's grace powerfully at work in them, some translations say abundance of grace and others, you know, much grace. I like mega grace. Like like extreme grace. Sounds like you need a you know big voice actor for the movies back in the day. Mega grace. There you go. That's what I think of. <laughs> that they experienced mega grace. But this word grace was God's favor on them. His smile from heaven. Just him looking at his kids, being his kids, and and behaving the way that they should. Not throwing blows at each other because they're different denominations. 
but loving on each other the way that he intended them to. In fact, this word favor in scripture is the same word that's used when the angel appeared to Mary and was telling her that she had found favor with God. That's the favor that the early church was experiencing. And the the favor was on all of them, the whole church. It's, It's how you and I are supposed to be when we come together that we get to experience koinonia, this beautiful Christian community that God planned for us. And in the midst of the Christian fellowship that we experience together, that God smiles on us. He intended for us to to love one another really, really well and to live in sweet Christian community together. So, yeah, find out how to get alongside other believers this week and experience that together. a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting next to a guy at a Griffins game, and let's just say we didn't really take kind of sitting next to each other. I had my arm on what I thought was part of the armrest that we had shared on my right side, and he thought I was taking the entire armrest, and and he decided to shove my arm a couple times with his arm, and let's just say I wasn't really happy with that, Hmm. but instead of saying something, I decided to stay quiet. And just decided to live with the situation. Did you like move your arm arm off of the armrest or were you just like maintaining, fella, we can share this. I got half, you got half, we're good. I maintained. Okay. <laughs> I did not move my arm off at the at this point. I did sure. not move it off. And after a while, he made it known that he wasn't really happy with that. Wasn't happy with me. Verbally or by uh, pushing you? Uh, verbally. We okay. had a conversation. Gotcha. He had gone up to a concession stand and came back and... And uh, that's when we had our conversation. And he wasn't necessarily kind with his words. And at that moment, I was presented with a choice. Tell the stranger sitting next to me exactly what I was thinking in my head, which, spoiler alert, it wasn't very nice. Or tell him that I simply wasn't happy with how he was speaking to Mm me. I chose that option and let him know I wasn't really pleased with his words. He then quickly changed his tone. He did apologize. We both apologized, and we were able to rectify the situation. Do you think that um, your calm, collected response impacted the way the rest of the conversation went? I think so. Mm -hmm. Um, With that, he very quickly changed his tone and asked that I would then just please, you know, maybe move my arm a little bit. And I was happy to oblige to that. Uh, I did not appreciate how the conversation started, and mm-hmm. that's where I decided to, that word's where my choice was. I can come out to him in anger and share the same anger that he was with me, or I can take the higher road, make that decision to simply just provide some kindness there and just say, you know, I'm not really happy with how you're speaking yeah. to me right now. Did you, okay, so the whole time that the arm placement was a nonverbal issue between you. Were you thinking through how you were going to handle this? Like, I think I need to say something to this fellow because obviously your response was in response to what he had said. So you couldn't have had it like a premeditated, this is what I'm going to say if, if he lashes out at me. Right. Yeah. I mean, how much of it was, how much of it was organic and how much of it was you processing how you were going to respond? It was very much organic. Okay. Because uh, that was not how I had it in my head that I was sure. going to respond to his actions. And I, so it was very much an organic uh, response to what he had um, what he had said. And the situation really could have gone south quickly. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, if I opened my mouth in anger, it would have caused more conflict. Sure. It's important to remember that people are always watching us as Christians, especially the non-believers, when mm -hmm. we try and share that good news with them, but then they just recently maybe saw us acting a fool. Right. You know, that's not going to hit very well with them. They're going to say, well, you know, you say you're a Christian, but I saw you just act a fool with that person. Right. Was that really Christ-like? Was that mm -hmm. being a Christian? And no, the answer would have been no. If I had lashed out at him like I wanted to in my head, no, that would not have been very Christ-like. Right. You know, if you had asked me after we had rectified, hey, what do you do for work? Oh, I work in Christian radio. Right. But really. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you might not want to share that, right? If you had acted a fool as you say it. Travis Kelsey learned this uh, very quickly last week after mm -hmm. the Super Bowl. We all know uh, the incident that he had with head coach Andy Reid, not very, very happy with his playing time. Right. And he has now since apologized for his actions. We have to act Christ-like to others for the kingdom to truly shine. If I acted poorly in this situation, what would that say about me? What would that say about my relationship with the Lord? It's not going to say very much. Right. It's not going to say, you know, that I have a strong relationship with my heavenly father. That would say that, you know, maybe I have a relationship, but I don't really practice it all too often. Right. And I, I feel like it, it was a situation where you could not have been prepared. It was one of those where, you know, life just bumps into you and it is what it is and you're faced with it. So the fact that you responded with grace in the way that you did and grace is not ignoring the situation. It's not saying we don't have a situation here. Mm -hmm. It's grace is saying, you know, just you being gentle in your response. And I think that that came from nurturing a relationship with the Lord. And I would encourage you to think about that the next time you're in a situation like mine. And I guarantee you're going to be in that mm -hmm. situation at some point. It simply will happen. It's, it's life. And think about your response in conflict. If you come with anger... It's not going to help the situation. Some of us right. have to take the higher road. And I think that's the hardest part mm -hmm. because it's easy to lash out in anger or to just be frustrated with things. And it's easy to share that. Yeah. It's completely different and more difficult to take, just take the higher road and, and be the better person in that situation. And that, at that point, it will certainly help the situation yeah. that you're in. Yeah. So what's the word what's the word of God to us in this moment? The word of God is from Proverbs 15 verse 1 and it says this. A gentle answer will deflect anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Hey, how's your obedience coming along? Following Jesus is literally just learning to go where he goes rather than going your own way. It's a process of learning uh, to follow his leadership. And I've heard it said that maturity can be measured by measuring the distance between hearing God speak, knowing what he wants you to do, and then actually doing it. Mm. In other words, how long does it take you to get about obedience? Well, sure. And you can tell us, you know, this is what I want you to do. And it's like, oh, Lord, that's not what I want to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's the opposite of obedience right there. It's, you know, it's not listening to the Lord. It's deciding, well, this is what I want to do. And, oh, well, shoot, it doesn't line up with what the Lord wants me to do. Yeah. And I've had, you know, kids in my family who I would tell them, hey, I need you to take out the trash. And there'd be one of them who would say, yeah, mom, no problem. I'll take out the trash. You know, a day goes by. 
and it's still not taken out. <laughs> and others who would be like, oh, I'm going to take out the trash. You know what I mean? Like give me pushback and whatnot. Uh-huh. So no. yeah, obedience, delayed obedience in our household is not obedience. Mm. It's disobedience. Ah. So I wonder how the Lord sees that one. But if, if maturity is measured by the distance between hearing God speak and then actually obeying him, we want to be quick to respond to what God is calling us to do. There's this story in Luke 5 where Jesus is at the lake. There's um, some fishermen who are in boats overnight, and they were done fishing. They were like cleaning up their nets and putting things away. Anyway, he was teaching, and he asked um, Simon, who owned one of the boats, if he could just push out a little bit from shore so that he could have kind of a a natural amphitheater, if you will. And the water, you know how noise carries on the water? Mm-hmm. You whisper in a boat and people three boats away are hearing what you're saying. So anyway, he says, can you just push out a little bit so I can teach and everybody can hear? And Simon says, sure. So when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon was like, master, We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Mm. And the words that jump out at me here are, because you said so. Mm-hmm. He could have said, I've been fishing all night, but thank you. <laughs> you right. know, like, I'm done. Calling oh, it a night. We're going home. Yeah, I'm tired. I'm done fishing. I don't want to let down my nets. I just clean my nets right before I let you in the boat. I finish cleaning them. So, no, I don't want to let my nets down again. Or, you know what? I tell you what. You stick to your carpenter business. I'll stick to my <laughs> fisherman business and let's call it good, you know? Right. But he didn't. He said, because you said so. When God speaks, how are you at the because you said so? Mm. When we learn through his word that he's calling us to do something, maybe he's telling you that there's a situation where you need to extend forgiveness or he's calling you out on being generous. He, he, he's letting you know how he wants you to behave towards those who are less fortunate than you, to, towards the widows or, or towards the orphans. How long does it take you to get about being about what God is calling you to do? Maybe, you know, your response when he's telling you, hey, I want to be, I want you to be a part of the church. I want you to be a part of community. And you're like, I have been hurt by people in the church. Mm. Or, you know, he's calling you out on tithing and you're like, listen, it's not like I'm opposed. Things are just really tight right now. Let me get things Mm -hmm. put together and then I'll, they're excuses, right? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so-and-so doesn't deserve my forgiveness. Do you even know what they did? Do you even understand how wrong they were? Right. We can follow Jesus. We can obey and we can be like Simon. We can respond because you said so. Because here's the thing. The story isn't over yet. If you go back to the story I was sharing with you about the about Simon and the boats and the fishing and all that. Listen to this. This is how it went down. So Simon says, because you say so, I will let down my nets and listen to what happened. <laughs> And I don't know if the Lord was like, hey, thanks for letting me use your boat. Drop those nets a second. Let me bless you. Like, I don't know what the mentality was there, (laughs) but this is what went down. He said, when they had done so, when they let down their nets, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. 
So they signal their partners in the other boat and they're like, hey, come over here. We need some help. We need some more some more nets to be let down because there's such a catch. So they came and they filled both of the boats so full that both the boats started to sink mm. from the weight of the fish. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. This is what Jesus did for them. And then, you know, Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed Jesus. Here's the thing. Our purpose, our life's calling, could be on the other side of because you say so. Maybe the because you say so life is the way to discover what God wants you to live for him. When I was 21 years old and I was single, my whole life was ahead of me and I just dreamt of meeting my Prince Charming and I just thought, man, if I could only just find him and get married, then I can just begin my life. And I did. I found him. We got married. We were newlyweds and we were both working full time and I just remember dreaming of becoming a mom and I was like, man, if only we could get pregnant. I'm eight months pregnant, swollen ankles. Swollen everything, actually. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, man, if only I could just have this baby. Right, get it out. <laughs> it's 4 a.m., my fourth time up with her in the same night. She just won't settle in. If only she would sleep through the night. Are you hmm. catching on? Yeah, Are you catching on to only. a rhythm? If only. Oh, man, if only this kid would get potty trained. If only she would start school. If only she could make the team. God, if only if only she could just have a best friend. If only she could just find the right college. If only she could just know what she wants to do with her life. If only she could just find the right job, just land that full-time job post-college. If only she could just find the right person that she could spend her life with. If only she could just, you know, start her family that she wants. I mean, come on. <laughs> There's always an if only. We just don't get out from under it. Is this just me, Ben, or are you relating? Uh, I relate. I yeah. relate, yeah. It seems like there's always some kind of carrot dangling in front of us, and we think, man, if I could just if I could just grab that carrot, if I could just have that thing, I'd be so happy. I'd be so satisfied. It's like happiness is, or contentment is just outside of our reach. It's like the uh, Geico commercial with the gentleman there with the dollar and the fishing pole. And, oh, you almost had it. Oh, <laughs> I haven't seen that, but God, that's gotta it. Got to be quicker. That's oh, it. Yeah. That's it. It's like, oh, man, it's just there. But it's But even if we can grab it, even if we did reach onto it, just like that would vanish and there'd be another one that we're reaching for. It's mm-hmm. just this never-ending thing. So that's, I think the lie behind the if only is that my happiness is going to be found in my circumstances, that there's something that could happen for me that is going to ultimately satisfy my soul. And that's a lie. It's a lie. And that's why there's another thing and then another thing and then another thing. But in Habakkuk 3 verses 17 and 18, it says, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no f- sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And it's just a reminder that even when 
things aren't going the way that you want them to go, even when you can't grip, grab onto the, the carrot that's dangling in front of you in life, whatever that looks like right now, you can experience joy in the Lord. Philippians 4 verse 12 reminds us, I know what it is to be in need. This is Paul speaking. He said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this, meaning like I can be content in every circumstance because of who God is in my life. And I, and I, I don't know that we really get how deeply true that is and how deeply mm. satisfying relationship with the Lord can be. I have had the last couple of weeks has been extremely challenging for me. There have been unexpected things that have popped up that were beyond what I'm capable of handling. Mm. Um, there's been an ongoing spiritual battle that has been challenging enemy, just like playing dirty mm. and, and messing with me. Um, behind the curtain, kind of like in the secret places in my mind, telling me lies. And and the truth of the matter is we can be in the battle. We can, we can literally be in the heart of all the crap and still experience joy in our relationship with the Lord. Psalm 37 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So the secret to contentment, isn't in grabbing onto that carrot. It isn't in fulfilling all of our desires, but in desiring God above everything else. That's the secret sauce. The only, if only, that you can grab onto and hold onto forever and ever and ever is to seek and find contentment in your relationship with Jesus. Thanks for letting Barry and Shauna walk the real life journey with you. The content from the Perry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Perry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.